Marcus Slater decides to forego the cold, wet, wintry weather of England to join a walking party in the sunny climes of Morocco, there, against the backdrop of the curious ancient towns of southern Morocco, he meets the enigmatic Sylvia, and finds himself embroiled in a game he cannot possibly afford to lose. Part 1. Welcome to Marrakesh. 1. I lay, inert, feeling the morphine flooding through my system, sending a warm glow to my face and limbs, as if I were made of ice and had started to thaw. All cares and worries drained away, and I almost felt happy, despite the circumstances. When my mind had cleared sufficiently, I thought back over the events of the previous two weeks. The whole strange affair began one Christmas, as I set off for Marrakesh on a fortnight's walking holiday in the warm Moroccan sunshine. We departed the damp, foggy air of Luton Airport on the morning of the 20th of December, touching down three hours later at Casablanca for the connecting flight. Already blue sky and sunshine were the order of the day, and an announcement told us it was eighteen degrees outside. We had an hour to stretch our legs, whilst our baggage was transferred to the new plane. I took the opportunity to smoke a cigarette and visit a luggage shop where I purchased a capacious grey Samsonite briefcase. It had twenty per cent off, and I thought it could come in useful— I'd taken very little hand luggage, merely a bottle of water and a book of chess problems in a carrier bag, so saw no difficulty with taking it on board. Whilst discussing the briefcase with an attractive olive-skinned sales girl who spoke good English, I observed a Berber-type fellow examining suitcases. He had dark skin, a large nose, and curly black hair, was of medium stature, and wore a worn navy blue suit. He attracted my attention by his frequent surreptitious glances in my direction. I began to wonder if he really was interested in suitcases. I soon found out. As I left the shop, he followed me down the corridor, soon walking alongside me. "'Excuse me, sir. May I speak with you, please?' he said ingratiatingly. I knew enough of Moroccans to know that they usually wanted one of two things, to sell you something or to beg money from you and they wouldn't take no for an answer. This chap didn't look like a beggar, and he carried a package about the size of a large book, wrapped with wax paper and the whole tied with string. From experience of the Berbers and their cousins, the blue silken clothed Tuareg of the Sahara, I supposed it contained either cheap jewellery or fossils. I ignored him and increased my pace. "'Sir, excuse please, I wish to speak with you.' "'Sorry, I'm in a bit of a hurry, plain to catch. "'Sir, would this be of interest?' "'He held an envelope open in front of me. "'It contained a bundle of what looked like fifty-pound notes. "'That was of interest, all right. "'I was down on my uppers, and I came to a standstill, right there and then. "'He ushered me to some seats down a deserted corridor. "'Sitting opposite me, he spoke in faltering English. "'My name is Abdul.' I give you this money if you take this packet onto plane. You give me packet back in Marrakesh. I give you same amount again. He patted a bulge in his jacket. Look, you must take me for a mug. It could be drugs or weapons. I don't know you. I remember the adage, never trust an Arab. To my surprise, he laughed, and his face lit up pleasantly. No, sir, we have already been through security— showing me his ticket, and I give you a package after we go through it again. 
We discussed the matter, and I agreed that after we'd been through security, I would put it in my briefcase. He'd give me the money, and I'd carry it on board. The procedure would be reversed at Marrakesh. I asked him what was in it, and why he didn't want to carry it, but he waved the question away. It was clear he was not going to elucidate.' 